Thanks for listening to iTruths, the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church of Texarkana, Texas. I'm Richard Hornock, the senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church, and the following is a message that I delivered during one of our Sunday morning worship services. I trust that it will be beneficial to your walk with Jesus Christ. Thanks again. Good things, important things, are often hard things. If you're going to take a trip, for example, and it's going to be a good trip, a memorable trip, a trip that's really worth the money that you spent on it, you better do the hard work to make it happen. Uh, events that, that mean a lot don't just happen. We always, we always like to say, oh, you know, it's the simple things of life that really make life good. And that's true. The trouble is, is doing the simple things is often hard. I, I was thinking about it even this morning. You know, I remember when our kids were real small, you know, I used to think, oh, it is so fun to take them to Dairy Queen and buy them a dipped cone, especially, you know, when it's like 105 degrees out. You know, you get all these little kids, and they all got a dipped cone, and it melts all over, and it's fun, and, you know, just create wonderful memories, you know, to buy this little four-year-old a dipped cone and let him have it all to themselves. You know, and I always thought, that was so fun. You know, that's what the kids are going to remember. You know, we tried to do that a lot. I bet we didn't even do it five times. You know, it just... Simple things, yeah, they make life really good, but it's so hard to do the simple things because there's so much opposition. We're so busy. We're so crowded. It's like, get ice cream all over their clothes and stick them back in the car. I don't think so, you know? I mean, we're not going to do that stuff. And here's the deal. When you're trying to do those good things, whether it's a good thing for your marriage, a good thing for your, pa- for your family, whether it's a good thing for your, your personal ministry, the, the, all those things... There's tons of opposition. You ever notice that? It's like you're doing what you really think God wants you to do, whether it's in your work or whether it's in your home or in the community or whatever. And it's like, oh, my goodness, if God really wants this to happen, if this is something he would make happen, why is it so hard? Why is there so much sideways energy trying to keep me from getting the job done, getting towards the goal? Well, I'll tell you what happens in my situation When those hard things happen and that sideways energy happens, I'm ready to quit. I'm ready to throw in the towel. It's not worth it. You know, yeah, the kids might remember it. You know, dad going and blowing $10, buying us all a dipped cone. But I'm like, it's too much work. And so we don't do it. You know, every one of us get to the point in our life where we need a lot of encouragement to do those hard things, those good things, those important things. Anyone relating to this? I hope you are. I hope you are because this is what the sermon's about, you know, and so uh, it's also what next week's sermon is about. You know, here's the deal. We are in the midst of a war. We're in the midst of a battle. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he has called us to to think and believe and live a different way. And there's opposition. Satan doesn't want that for you. He doesn't want you to live out 
this life that God has for you. And so there's tons of opposition. He doesn't want your marriage to be like what God would like it to be. He doesn't want your family to be like what God wants it to be. He doesn't want your work life to be like what God wants it to be. I mean, there's tons of opposition. Those good things, those important things, they're hard things because there's an opponent. Well, this week and next week, we're going to look a little at a little slice of Israel's history. You see, about 500 years before Jesus, 500 B.C., the, the Jews had been taken as slaves, captives, POWs, by the Babylonians. And then, after a hundred years, incredible as it seems, they were allowed to go back to Jerusalem and resume life, to rebuild their temple. See, Nebuchadnezzar had totally destroyed their temple. This beautiful temple that Solomon had built... He totally destroyed it. He looted it. All the beautiful furnishings inside of it, he took them away. But God, in his providence, God gave them the permission and even the funding to go back to the land. And, and thousands, thousands of Jews left Babylon and Persia and went back to Jerusalem with the idea that they were going to set up their community, set up their nation again. And one of the key things was to rebuild the temple. And they got there, and they were trying to do a good thing, an important thing, really, because it was what God called them to do. It was the most important thing they could ever do. But what happened? There was lots of opposition. There was a lot of sideways energy. There was a lot of good things that got in way in the way of that important thing. And guess what? 20 years passed, and they never got around to doing it. They never got around to getting going on the temple. It wasn't a problem. They couldn't blame it on the funding because the government was going to provide all the money. They couldn't blame it on the labor because they had plenty of people to build. They couldn't blame it on, you know, the architect who has laid on the blueprints again because the plans were already laid out. They had no excuse. It's just for 20 years, nothing went right in getting going on that project. And what did God do? God raised up two prophets, Haggai, and Zechariah, who were going to speak some truth to the people and motivate them to get the ball going, get the project going. And what we're going to do today, and we're going to do next Sunday, is we're going to look specifically at the, the message that God gave to Zechariah, one of those prophets, to give to the two key leaders. You know, here's something that I think all of us should remember. You know, when things aren't going well, when you're trying to do something and uh, uh, it just is a fail, just didn't get done, and everyone's got the right attitude and towards it, but it's just, it just ain't happening. 
You know who actually feels the worst about it? The leaders. You know who feels the worst about losing a game? The coach. When the coach has got his head in the game the way he's supposed to, and he's doing it for the right reasons, and they go out and they just stink it up. The one who feels the worst is actually the coach because everyone's saying, why didn't you do a better job preparing these players? You've got good players. What's missing here must be the coaching. The leaders feel the worst. And what we're going to see today and what we're going to see next week is God's words of encouragement to those two leaders So take your Bible and turn with me to Zechariah 3. Zechariah 3, because we're going to look at the encouragement that God gave to Joshua the high priest in the face of this major fail. You've been back in the land for 20 years, you got the people, you got the funding. You got the plans. Where's the temple? It ain't happening. And God had a special word for Joshua, the high priest. And next week, we're going to look at the special word that God had for Zechariah, the king. And I find it interesting, the two individuals who received specific individual messages from God to help jumpstart their obedience and motivation towards doing this really good, important thing. God had a word for the spiritual leader, and God had a word for the political leader. And what we're going to look at today is the word for the spiritual leader, and next week we're going to look at the word God gave to the king, the political leader. That's Zechariah 4. Let me me just read what is happening. Now, these first several chapters of Zechariah, remember, Zechariah is one of the prophets. There was two prophets that God raised up at this time, Haggai and Zechariah. And one night, Zechariah had eight dreams, eight visions. You talk about dreaming and tossing and turning. In one night, Zechariah had eight different dreams or visions and we're just going to look at two of them, one, to not, one today and one next week, the one specifically to Joshua and the one specifically to Ze- uh, Zerubbabel next week. Let me, let me just read a little bit here, and then we'll start talking about it, okay? Zechariah 3, verse 1. Then he, that's this angel that's kind of leading him through these dreams that he's having. Then he showed me... Joshua the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. And Satan was standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord has chosen Jerusalem. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand or a stick plucked from the fire. He's looking at Joshua when he says this. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not 
a stick plucked from the fire. Now, now Joshua was standing there clothed with filthy garments and standing before the Lord, standing before the angel. And, and he spoke and said to, to those who were standing before him, saying, Remove the filthy garments. And again he said to him, See, I have taken your iniquity away from you and will clothe you with festal robes. Then I, that's Zerubbabel, he kind of, or uh, not Zerubbabel, but Zechariah, he kind of enters into the dream himself. And he says, then I suggested, well, you know, we're giving him new clothes. Let's give him a new turban, a new clean turban for his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments while the angel of the Lord was standing by. Now, let's just talk about this. We'll just stop right there. You know, if you didn't catch it all, essentially what you saw there was an accuser and an, an accused, an accuser and an advocate. Do you see that? There, there's three people in this dream that he's seeing. There was Joshua the high priest, there's Satan, and then there's the angel of the Lord. Now, think about it. Okay, remember, remember the context. Remember what the story. Why is Zechariah even seeing these dreams? It's like God is giving him information that will motivate the people to get going on this project that they've been sitting on for 20 years. They're discouraged. They're hurting. And who's hurting the most? Joshua is. Zerubbabel is. I mean, they're discouraged. I mean, they're supposed to be leading God's people, and nothing's happening. I mean, they're the leader of the organization, and the organization is going down the tubes. Nothing's happening. And so God gives Zechariah this special information to pass on to Joshua. Hey, Joshua, I had a dream about you. Oh, really? You had a dream about me? Yeah, I had a dream. And I saw you... And you're there, and you're standing with Satan, and you're standing with the angel of the Lord. Well, that sounds like a great dream. Dreamed all about you. You're right there standing next to Satan. Now, who's Joshua? Well, he's the high priest. I mean, he's the man. In the Old Testament, the high priest was the guy who represented all the people to God. It's not like that on this side of the cross. We're all priests on this side of the cross. We all can go straight to the Father. When I bow my head and pray, God's listening to me. In the Old Testament, I had to go through the priest, okay? So Joshua is like the single point of failure in the organizational structure, the spiritual organizational structure of the nation. Joshua's it, and Joshua's got to be feeling terrible because I've been on the job for 20 years and nothing has happened. And guess who's noticed? It's not just Joshua that's in the story. There was this accused. He's the accused. We'll find out what he was accused of. But who's the accuser? Satan. 
the word Satan, the name Satan, it, it, it literally means accuser. Uh, if you've read the, through the Bible and you've read the book of Job, Job is accu- uh, Satan is accusing Job of basically being a, a spiritual prostitute. He only worships you, God, because you pay him. You give him lots of good stuff. He's wealthy and he's healthy. Who wouldn't worship you for that? I mean, that's what Satan was accusing Job of. That, look at what he's accusing Joshua of. He's pointing out Joshua's dirty, filthy clothes. See verse 3? Now Joshua was clothed in filthy garments. Now that's actually kind of putting it mildly. You know what kind of garments these were? And, and imagine, remember, how's the priest supposed to be dressed? The priest was dressed in just the finest clothes there were. You know, all this, these layers and layers of the very finest garments and it's all embroidered and there's little tassels on it and it's beautiful it's all filthy and you know what the word filthy means it's excrement smeared okay now every parent in the room has had this experience okay your kid has a blowout you know what i'm talking about i I learned what a blowout was 37 years ago okay uh Oh, my grandkids left. I was going to make sure they paid attention because I'm going to tell a story about their dad here. When, when Jonathan was about nine months old, we, uh, we went to Memphis to visit Vicky's grandfather. Uh, he was about to die. He died a few weeks later. And Vicky wanted to run up and, and see him one more time before he died. And then after we're there, we decided, hey, we're going to go visit Graceland, you know, Elvis's home. You know, Priscilla Presley had just come out with her book and, and, you know, everything was Elvis and stuff. And we thought, hey, let's, you know, instead of going back to Texarkana right away, let's, let's hang in Memphis a day and we'll go see Graceland. What else do you do in Memphis? That was all we knew and that was all we wanted to do. So we go to Graceland and the three of us go in, Vicki and I, and I'm carrying Jonathan, and we made the fatal mistake of forgetting the diaper bag. And we are inside Elvis's mansion. And there's the stairway. And the tour guide said, and there's the bathroom. And if you know anything about Elvis, that's, that's where Elvis died. And I look down, and Jonathan has had a blowout. And I mean, I am excrement covered, okay? And it was terrible. And I'm like, what are we going to do? And Vicky's like, don't ask me. Where's the diaper bag? And I said, can you take him? And she's like, no, you got him, you know? It's like hands off, and I asked the tour guide, can we do it? And she thought it was some ploy so that we could get to go up and use the bathroom to see the place where the king died, you know? And, uh, well, one thing led to another. We got, we got it taken care of. She brought us a tissue. You know, she obviously didn't have a kid. She needed to bring us the whole box. But we, we got me cleaned up because there was no going out. I mean, it's like you leave, you lose your money. You don't get to go in and see the king, you know? And, and, and uh, that was... My first experience with having filthy garments. And Satan, in this dream, is looking at the key spiritual leader of the nation, and he's saying, you are so totally disqualified to be God's representative, or these people's representative to God. 
Look at him. He's got filthy garments. That's what Satan was accusing him of. You know what? That's what Satan accuses you of. You are not at all qualified to lead that family. You are a horrible spouse. You are a horrible parent. What kind of salesman are you? What kind of engineer are you? you? I mean, your company, I mean, they are so sick of you. They are so done with you. They feel like they overpay you and you're not working enough. And Satan will just do anything and everything he can to tear you down and discourage you from going hard after that thing that God has called you. I mean, don't you, don't you dare volunteer to teach that that class, that Bible study. I mean, what do you know? You know nothing about the Bible. You know nothing about the Bible. What could you tell those people about the Bible? So what do you do? You, you, you don't step up. You could never tell that person anything encouraging who has just gone through this really tough stuff. So you stay silent because who are you? I mean, so many parents can just feel like they can't speak into their kid's life because who are you? you look Think back on high school, what you did. Who are you to tell your high school kid how to handle it? I mean, Satan loves to tear us down. That's what he's doing with Joshua in this story. You got filthy garments, dude. You are totally unqualified. But remember, there's a third person in the story. Joshua's the target, he's being accused. He's being accused by the accuser, Satan. But he's got an advocate, the angel of the Lord. And you know who the angel of the Lord is? The Bible makes this really clear. In the Old Testament, when it talks about the angel of the Lord, not an angel of the Lord, but when it is the angel of the Lord, like it is in this passage, that's the second person of the Trinity. That's Jesus Christ. That was Jesus' form before he came to, came to earth, born as a, a baby and grew up to become a man that died on the cross for us. So who is it here in this dream? It's Joshua the high priest, Satan, and Jesus Christ. And look what, look what the advocate says. I love this. Look at verse 2. And the Lord... There's kind of a key as to, well, how'd you know the angel of the Lord is the Lord? It's right there. The Lord said to Satan. See, Jesus speaks up for us. If you want to write down a Bible verse, write down 1 John 2.2. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. I bet John was kind of thinking of that when he was thinking of this story when he actually wrote that chapter in 1 John 2. Then the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you. And you kind of get a little hint of the Trinity there. The Lord is talking about the Lord doing something, but it's not him that's doing it. It's the Lord, the other Lord, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord has chosen Jerusalem, who has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. And then look at this. You ought to underline this. If you're using a real paper Bible, you ought to underline this next line. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? 
And don't get confused over the word brand. It's just an old word that means stick. Is this not a stick that, that could just ignite at any time, pulled out of the fire? Uh, if you know your church history, you know that Susanna Wesley, the mother of John and Charles Wesley, Susanna Wesley always referred to John, who started the Methodist church 300 years ago, a guy that God used in an incredible way. She always said, he's my brand plucked from the fire. What is he saying there? This is this stick that deserves to burn in hell, and God has plucked it from the fire. Uh, Harry A. Ironside, who was a preacher about 70, 80 years ago, real super popular, pastor of the Moody Church in Chicago, real famous church. Um, he said, you know, <laughs> this is the gospel in the nutshell. This is you, this is me. If we're here today and we've trusted Jesus Christ as personal Savior, we are sticks that God reached in and pulled out of hell before we burned up. That's me, that's you. And what is the advocate, what is the angel of the Lord saying to Satan about Joshua? He's saying, don't go saying that stuff about my man. He is a stick that God has saved for a very special purpose. And then what does the advocate say to, the, to people around him? He said, hey, take off those filthy garments from him. See in verse 4? And he says, the reason we're doing this is because I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with festal robes. And then Zechariah even jumps in and says, hey, let's give him a clean hat. Remember, what was the hat that the high priest wore? What did it say on it? Anyone remember? It said, holy to the Lord. You imagine when, when the dream starts, Joshua is there and he's got, you know, blow, diaper blowout all over his hat that says, holy to the Lord. And they gave him a new hat that said, I am holy to the Lord. What is he saying here? What's the advocate saying? What is Jesus saying about Joshua the high priest? And by implication, what is he saying about you? What is he saying about me? Well, we know what Satan is saying. Satan's saying he's disqualified. He's unfit for any kind of ministry, any kind of service. And Jesus Christ says, not so fast. I have plucked him out of the fires of hell. And I have clothed him in righteousness. He is holy to me. Now think about it. Joshua is the spiritual leader of the nation that has been sitting on a 20-year losing streak. They've not accomplished anything for God. And if anyone feels like they should step aside spiritually, it would have to be Joshua. And God is saying, uh-uh, you are my man. And I have clothed you in righteousness. I have equipped you to do this thing 
that I've called you to do. You know what? The implication, God's saying the same thing to you. He's saying the same thing to me. I can't help but think that in the same way that perhaps John was thinking of this passage when he wrote 1 John 2, Paul was thinking of it when he wrote 2 Corinthians 5 and talked about us being clothed in righteousness. You know, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we could have the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. If you're here today as a person who has trusted Jesus Christ, if you've got a relationship with Jesus Christ that is based on faith plus nothing because it's all in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, God says, man, I plucked you out of the fire of hell. I have clothed you with righteousness, and you better believe that I have placed you in that situation to do my work. And I know you've got an accuser who is just constantly pointing out your filth, but my son died on the cross to take care of that filth. You are holy to me. Now, interestingly, the dream goes on, and there's an admonition there in verse 7 and some assurance in verse 8. And basically, that admonition to, to Joshua is, Joshua, it helps if you live the straight and narrow and walk in righteousness and don't continually dirty up your life. But I have a future and I have a hope for you. You can read verses 7 and 8 on your, on your own, but essentially what he's saying is, Joshua, you can contribute and help yourself out by walking in righteousness, walking in the righteousness that I've put on you, because I have, I've got a branch. You're just a stick. I've got a branch that is coming and going to lead the nation. And he's going to make everything great. But here's what I want you to think about. What is it that God is really saying to Joshua? He's saying, Joshua, because of what I have done in your life, you can do this thing that I've called you to. You can do this thing that I've called you to. You know, here's the deal. Every one of us in this room, we have been called by God to serve him. Serve him in our marriage, to serve him in our singleness, to serve him as a parent or a grandparent, to serve him as a, an engineer at the paper mill, to serve him as a salesman for this software company, to serve him as a teacher in this classroom. I mean, you name it. God, God has put a calling on your life where he wants you to be out there in the world being salt and light. And, and, and by God's grace, he has enabled us to go out there and, and be part of it. He has called us into this community. And within this community, we're supposed to be contributing. 
I mean, some of us are supposed to be teachers. Some of us are supposed to be encouragers. Some of us are supposed to be servants that take care of logistics. And, and God has said, I've got this calling on you. But recognize, you've got an accuser who is constantly pointing out the filthy garments that you got on. But I took those garments off you and gave you clean garments. In fact, we even gave you a new hat, and it says, holy to the Lord. And God wants us to focus in on that encouragement rather than the discouragement that Satan is constantly dishing out. So just to wrap it up here, I mean, what's the so what? What's the takeaway? Let me just give you two things, and they're mostly things we got to remember. You got to remember. You got an accuser, Satan. Almost his primary thing that he does throughout Scripture is accuse God's people, saying they're disqualified, they're not equipped, they're not able to do it. And we've got an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. If you've got a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is like your lawyer standing before the Father regularly defending you. And you've got the best lawyer there ever could be. He's defending you. He's advocating for you. But, but remember the first part of this. I mean, that sideways energy, that opposition, that's normal for a fallen world. Those times when we get bewildered and say, why is it so hard? I want to be a good parent. I'm trying to be a good parent. I'm trying to do all this stuff. And it just seems like there's so much opposition. Why doesn't God make it, you know, easy for me to raise, you know, a Daniel or a Joseph or some other superstar kid? Well, the reason is because you've got an opponent. We don't like to talk about that often, but that's to our detriment. We are in a battle. There's always an enemy within the battle. The enemy is Satan, and he's got a mouth that is nonstop pointing out every flaw you have. Here's something else you've got to remember. And that is God does want to use you. God wants to use you. He, he has plans for you. You go and dwell on verses 7 and 8. And you're going to see God is saying to Joshua, Joshua, I put you here because I want you to spiritually lead these people who are going to start to rebuild the nation. The reason God gave you as a parent to your kids because he wanted you to raise them for him. If he wanted somebody else to raise them, he would have given them to that person. But he gave them to you because you're qualified. You're capable. He wants to infuse you with the energy and wisdom and intellect and common sense to raise them. Him. The reason God gave you that job is because He wanted you to be in that office representing Him as a godly salesman, as a godly engineer, as a godly teacher, as a godly administrator. 
He wanted you to do that. He's got other people to do the other jobs, and he's got them in their positions, too. But God has a plan for you. God, God is not, God, we never get to the point where God throws up his hands and says, I'm done. I'm finished with you. I mean, God miraculously always can take us and put us back together and use us. He never benches us permanently. That was one of the things I always hated about baseball. You have a bad inning, they pull you out of the game, and by rules of the game, you can't go back in. I remember one of the baseball games I played in. I was 12 years old. Probably my last baseball game. I was the pitcher. And second inning, I started walking guys. And he pulled me out. And I never got to play baseball again. Never did do it again because I didn't go to the next level. That doesn't ever happen with God. God never pulls you out and says you're done. He may pull you out. He may want to knock you upside the head a few times. He may want you to sit there in your filthy garments so you recognize, hey, it probably isn't the smartest thing to wrestle in the manure but he's always ready to put you back in. What did God do for this man of God who was in a strategic position? He did for him what he wants to do for you. He wants to encourage you and remind you that you are a stick that he pulled out of hell. And he has clothed you with righteousness and beauty and he's even declared, you're holy before me. And God wants you to go hard after that to which he's called you. Good things, important things, yeah, they're hard things. But you know what? For the child of God, they're doable. Not because of us, but because of what God's given us. Let's pray, okay? Lord, I want to thank you for just the opportunity to look at uh, this message you gave to Joshua. And uh, Father, I pray that uh, it would be encouraging to us as it was to Joshua. Father, maybe we're stuck. Uh, maybe we're a little bitter, a little angry, a little disillusioned, and we really would like to quit. I pray, Father, that uh, if you want us to keep going, Father, I pray that today we'd recognize we got the stuff that it takes to keep going. I thank you for the righteousness of Jesus Christ that is ours. I thank you that he's there before you defending us, speaking truth about what we are because of Jesus. So thank you, Lord, for the encouragement that you want to give us today. In Jesus' name, amen.